Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You're listening to episode 29, titled The Honest Approach with Darcy Loma. Y'all, this conversation is on fire. Darcy Loma is an executive and leadership coach, speaking all over the world, helping teams create the high-performing atmosphere that they want in business. But today, she and I are having a conversation about a major unforeseen grief event that shattered her entire framework. So as you listen, I just want you to remember, even the professionals need support. And frankly, the ones willing to tell you about their story are usually the ones you can trust with your own. Welcome back to Restorative Grief, everybody. Today, my guest is Darcy Loma. Darcy, it's so nice to see you today. Thanks, Mandy. Glad to be with you. Thank you. I I love when I have brave new friends come on this podcast because it is not a conversation that most people want to have. So I appreciate your willingness to just dive into this world of grief and unpack some of your story for me. Um, why don't you take a minute and just introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. It's also not a conversation that I ever thought that I wanted to have. And yet here I am. So my name is Darcy Loma. And probably first and foremost, I'm a mom. I have two teenage daughters and I own a coaching and consulting firm. So everything we do focuses on creating high performing people and teams. And so it's the it's the soft skills, uh, the people problems that that get in the way of being successful communication, conflict, uh, lack of trust, trying to create uh, strong leaders and managers. And we do that through coaching and then training and speaking and keynotes and also um, consulting. So we'll do team assessments and retreats. I love to hear about all of the details. And I love how you framed it as soft skills because that is so true. And we don't recognize the value of those as teachable things or points of, of pain in our lives when we're working through something that that could be something we could investigate. Are you communicating effectively? Thank you for that quick little synopsis. Tell me why a high-performing coach like yourself thought, oh, a grief podcast, that's a perfect fit for my story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thanks, Mandy. So I had launched my business. Uh, so I worked in politics and presidential campaigns and worked for a U.S. Senator. And I left that world behind on January 2nd of 2013. And on January 3rd, I launched my full-time business. And I told my husband, the majority of small businesses fail within two years. And so I really want to try to make a go of this. And he was all in. He was a full-time stay-at-home dad to our two young daughters. And so he took care of groceries, cooking, laundry, lawn mowing, Girl Scouts, you name it, everything. And so I was blessed and, and worked hard. I shouldn't even say I was blessed. I worked really hard to build yeah. a successful <laughs> business. And so fast forward three years to March 17th of 2016, I was at an event and my phone rang and it was my neighbor. And normally I would not pick it up, but for some reason, Mandy, I just felt compelled. Like, like my spidey son said to and when I answered the phone, it was my neighbor and she was hysterical. And she said, Darcy, what is going on at your house? And I'm like, I, 
I don't know. I'm not home. Why? There are 40 or 50 police cars and a SWAT team surrounding your house with guns. And they just took out your husband in handcuffs. And I'm like, what? John, what are you, what are you talking about? Yes. And I want to know where the girls are because you do not want them seeing this. That Mandy was the start of my nightmare, a, a huge nightmare. Uh, I found out later that my husband, it was the day before our 10 year wedding anniversary. He was arrested for sexual assault of a minor he had met online. Oh my goodness. He was taken away that day and he never came home. He was ultimately convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Yeah. And talk about grief <laughs> of the, of the, of the most extreme kind. And what was crazy is I had people saying my therapist, not the least of which is this is, this is actually harder than a death because people don't, they don't know how to like, you know, somebody dies and you're grieving they know that you go to the memorial service, you drop off a casserole, right. You know what to do, but in something like this, nobody knew what to do. And then later on top of it, I had to hire an attorney. This charges were so severe that I had to hire my own attorney. And he said, Darcy, don't talk to anybody about anything. And so here I am in the worst moment, the biggest nightmare of my life. And I couldn't, I couldn't talk to anybody. And so I was having to figure out how do I manage this and how do I grieve without having my, my support system. Yeah. Just completely and suddenly isolated for uh, ostensibly onto your own benefit to protect you and to keep the long-term in mind. But with such an off the rails train like that, all you're considering is the next few steps, like the next literal physical next few steps. How do you move to the kitchen when you have to move past the wedding photos that you are no longer celebrating about? Not to mention piles and piles and piles of, of, of our stuff in every room because the search warrant they destroyed. I don't know. I I had never experienced a search warrant before, but it's as bad as you would imagine. They take everything out of every drawer, every closet, and they don't like fold it and put it nicely back. So yeah, on top of that, having a home destroyed. That would be a physical and emotional and... (laughs) just spiritual upset in all ways. And so that is, I'm curious because I love that your neighbor called and was obviously very concerned about your girls as she should be. And yet in the days following that, and in the weeks to follow, you were having to guard what you were able to say, of course, but how did, how did your community come around you? What was the the grief response, so to speak, or, or was the response even quality? Like, could it even qualify as a grief response? Yeah. What was interesting. And and I think this is probably the case with, with different types of grief is, you know, the person at the center of the, of the, of the grief, isn't the only one grieving. Right. So if you lose somebody to death, you're obviously grieving because it's your spouse or your parent, or your child. And yet other people have relationships with that person. And so it was the same way with this is, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the center of this uh, hurricane and yet everybody else was dealing with their own grief. Like, wait, 
John, John, I, I love John. And he volunteered at church and he, he, he was always at school volunteering and they were trying to deal with their own emotions and grief. And so, so there was a continuum. There was a spectrum, Mandy, from the, 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 the people who were, were, leaning on me to process and deal with their grief, because that's, that's what I'm good at. I'm a coach. I write, I'm a good listener. And yet I found myself at this place where I, I could not be that person. And so there were people who who couldn't self-manage and distinguish like, oh, this isn't something that I go to Darcy for, for support. And then people along the continuum who really did know that that was something that they had to process their own grief elsewhere. And I don't know, have you ever heard of, or, 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 or read about the ring theory? Oh yes. Yeah. That was how I felt like I wanted to give everybody a copy of that who was coming to me. <laughs> right. I'm like, no, I'm at the center. You have to dump out <laughs> support. Exactly. <in." laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, as you we were talking, I'm writing down, Oh, she's talking about centering and ring theory. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, ring theory is this concept that in the center of, a, of your world is you and right around you, there are one or two people, but you are not allowed to put yourself in the middle of someone else's story. And Grievers tend to deal with this so significantly because we're trying to relate or we're trying to understand and show up as a healthy grief support, but we inadvertently turn the griever into the supporter by asking questions. And like you said, by the person themselves being a pillar of support and the usual go-to becoming the griever means that, oh, now I have to do something differently. And we're not trained. We don't know how to do that. We don't know how to do that. And, and the one thing I love about the ring theory, you just did a beautiful bottom line of it. <laughs> one of the things I love is when you put the person in the center, who's, who's grieving. And then, like you said, you've got these, these layers so that then you might have their, their, their friends and kids and family in the next ring. And then the ring after that are their neighbors and the ring after that are their, you know, church members, you find where am I in this, in this ring and anybody who's in a smaller ring, I support. I, I, I give a listening ear. I self-manage anybody who's in a ring that is further out. I can go and say, Oh, can you believe that? I can vent. I can dump. I can ask for support. And it's just such a nice, simple model to figure out where, where am I in this spectrum compared to the person who's grieving and to the other people. And because we all, we all do experience then our, our, our grief, no matter what ring we're in, where do I, where is it appropriate to find support for that grieving? Yeah. So you said this started in 2016. It's 2022 now. How has the last six years impacted the way you've moved through your life and the way that you've moved through even your career? You were you were building uh, an empire, which it sounds like is doing quite well. And yet you have been navigating under a colossal pressure at the same time. So what is it that has brought you back to the present as you've stepped forward each time? So when he was first arrested, his mugshot was all over the, the, the news, social media, the newspaper. I had banks of trucks out in front of our house. And so I actually ended up moving my, my daughters to five hours away to another state to live with my sister. I gave her legal guardianship because I had to figure out and get my head on straight and I needed time to process. And I hired a crisis communications firm to help me. And I will never forget when they said, Darcy, you need to take time off of work. And I'm like, 
if I don't work, I don't get paid. I own my own company. And I resisted that. And I said, it, it, you know, I, I disagree. As a matter of fact, my instinct was exactly the opposite. I have to work harder now because I have a divorce attorney and a criminal defense attorney and child psychologist. That was the best advice I ever got because it, it gave me the space to really grieve and to really dig in deeply to the, the reality instead of just putting on a happy face. And I, and I, and I am getting through. And I think that was important for me to be where I am now and for my daughters to be where we are now that I, that I took the time to grieve. So it was probably about two years later. And I was, I, I like, I didn't, I didn't talk about it to anybody. I went into hibernation mode. It was awful. So I started going back out and I'd have lunch meetings or I'd be going and doing a keynote and I would inevitably be talking to somebody who would say, so how are you? And I'd be like, uh, do they know? Do they not know? I had a different last name. I did not take my husband's last name when we got married. And this feeling of, I'm not sure, are they wanting to talk about John or are they not? I hated that. It it just felt like there's this wall up and I'm trying to read their body language. And if I say, oh, I'm fine. And then they're like, wow, I can't believe she's fine. Her husband. Or if I say, oh, I'm actually not doing well. John's in prison. They're like, wait, what? So I decided to go public with my story. And it, it was it was actually February of 2019 that Brava magazine, the women's magazine reached out to me and said, we'd like to write a story about your situation. And I went to my team and, and asked them and they all said, no, don't do it. I'm like, you guys, why? We have been, we've been working hard for three years to, to not have your reputation tarnished and not have to shut down the business. Why? And not have you be in the nightly news. Why would you now put that out there and, and expose yourself like you're past it? And I said, cause it sucks to live in secrecy. It's, it's, it's awful to live. And it wasn't a lie, but it, it was just, I hated that feeling. And so I decided to let them, that was a cover story. And then I wrote a book on it, Thoughtfully Foot, and the whole story and how that leadership model that I use with my clients helped me when I was at the center of the crisis. And so this answer is, is much too long, Mandy, but I'll say that where we are now, my daughters are thriving. They're in eighth and 10th grade. They have forgiven their dad. I have forgiven my ex-husband. It's like, there's just a, a peace that I have. And you know how, when you hear somebody like loses a leg or some horrible thing happens and they say, I'm better off for it. And you're going like, Oh, come on. You are not. I honestly can say that, that here I am. I feel like there has been so much growth and learnings and silver linings that has come from this that were unexpected. That in many ways we're, we're better off. Such a powerful thing to on the other side of something to feel like you've gotten to, to the other side, first of all, to actually say, Nope, I think this is the day where my active grief becomes just a, just a, a chapter in the story. And that's a very significant moment that so many people don't ever get a chance to reach. But I also think what you just said about silver linings is such an individualized experience. And until you can experience it for yourself, that phrase just sounds exactly like what you said. There's no way you're better off. There's no way you're healing. There's no way you feel okay. And 
when you reckon with the idea that complexity means I can feel down and joyful at the same time. I can handle and navigate very difficult circumstances and still rejoice over my circumstances, over my life and find healing and moments and encounters. That is a huge muscle that you have to build up to. So it sounds like you're coaching practice was able to come alongside you in such a way that you really developed like, okay, well, how does this actually apply to the other side of, of life? If life is side A, side B is grief. How does this apply? So what, what is it in your, in your coaching that is so different that led you to write an entire book about this? (laughs) Yeah, I, I, and it's interesting because my fear that you know, my business is based on reputation and referrals and word of mouth. And I thought if I put out there that my ex-husband is a you know sex offender and felon, I, I'm, my business is going to die. The exact opposite happened. I had so many people reach out and say, oh, I've been living in shame and secrecy uh, for, for something for years and it's eating me alive. It was incredible. So what's crazy, Mandy, is I had been working for five years on this model, this thoughtfully fit model and researching, we we kept noticing with my coaching team that our clients would bring in the same problems that were getting in the way of them achieving their goals of finding success. So, so different stories, different people, different players and details, but at the end of the day, they kept bringing in the same hurdles. So we spent five years researching and categorizing what is it that gets in the way of being high performing? And we found there's six hurdles. Everybody that comes in has one of these six hurdles. Thoughtfully Fit is the model that has the six practices. So what are the hurdles? And then what are the practices that you can train and practice to overcome them? Just like if you want to be physically fit, you have to train and practice. So the model came alive on a Saturday in March, five days before my husband's arrest. And so all of a sudden I became ground zero to test drive it in in real life. Wow. It was insane. And because those hurdles, those obstacles, I now had every single one of them hitting me, right? Not handling myself the way I want, reacting poorly when blindsided, right? There's so much to do. I can't even think Uh, relationships that aren't working. And so when I, I was going to write a book on Thoughtfully Fit. When I went to the, 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 I had hired some consultants to help me write it. I said, you know, in about five or 10 years, I'd love to write a memoir about how this model helped me navigate this crisis. And they looked at each other and they're like, yeah, that is this book. I'm like, no, no, no. This book is about the model. This is about thoughtfully fit. They're like, yeah, this book, this is, this book is going to be better if you tell the story of how thoughtfully fit helped you navigate your crisis. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'm really putting it out there. That was the, the, the impetus for then writing the thoughtfully fit book, which is a hybrid memoir, self-help leadership book, which you're absolutely right. When you can demonstrate vulnerability and you take off the veil of this polished, educated, intelligent, articulate professional and actually let people see who you are, that you do have flaws, that you do have struggles and that you are willing to risk shame 
for the sake of authenticity and for the sake of bringing healing to the table for someone else, I have no, I'm not surprised in one bit that your, your company blew up and became incredibly in demand because that that's exactly it. Your, your people were right about your book being so much more impactful when we realize there's more here than just someone doing research. That's, that's where I think grief really goes off the rails is we think we can control a circumstance by doing all the research and reading all the books. And yet time and again, we see through stories just like yours. No, actually it's getting down into the trenches and deciding if I don't grieve this now, I will probably not survive it. Or it's going to come up again in the wrong moment. And I'm going to react poorly or overreact or just shut down and not have the maturity to navigate through it. So hundred percent. And I like to think of it like a buoy in the water, Mm. you know? So if you're pushing the buoy down, you're like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. Every, and you keep pushing that buoy down, you know, at some point the pressure is so strong that it, that it comes out. And like you said, oftentimes at an intensity and a time that is not ideal. Yeah. I think we don't recognize in the grief world, how traumatic grief can be when it's left unnoticed. Like I love that metaphor of the buoy, because all I think about is that's going to hit me right in the face. That is going (laughs) to knock out a tooth. I'm going to be bleeding. It's embarrassing. It's going to be way worse trying to get my tooth put back in when it's knocked out. Unless I just sit here it's better for me to actually address it. So how do you, I'm curious, um, even with your girls being in middle and high school, how, how did you reinstill a sense of psychological safety in the home for them after they realize, gosh, it, cause it's a big deal for them to find a way to generate forgiveness in themselves towards a, a trusted authority figure. We'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That was the hardest thing of all of this. Like, I don't care if my business goes bankrupt. I don't care. But for me, what I, what could not happen is that my, 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 my daughters are devastated and right that their life's over and they had never gone a day without their dad. They love their dad. He did everything with them. And so it was, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Bottom line, because we could spend an hour talking about this, I I found a, a fabulous child psychologist. It took me five. The first one I talked to uh, the day after his arrest said, "Just tell your daughters that your dad that their dad went on vacation, um, so you can buy yourself some time." And I was like, "Okay, I'm grieving and I'm not handling myself, but are you kidding me? You want me to lie to them when?" They, their dad just randomly decides to leave without notice a week before we're going on a spring break trip around the country in an RV. No. So I'm finding a really good child psychiatrist and then also therapists for them. And then if I had to say what, what helped me and what I learned along the way that I didn't know is that two things, one being truthful at an age appropriate level is, is always the best method, even when it's hard. And two, that if your children are not at risk and they're not, if their safety is, is, is not at risk, it's always better for them to have a relationship with an incarcerated parent. Luckily, I, I knew after lots of conversations with victim services and the DA and the police and my daughters, I knew that they were never at risk, thankfully. 
And so, and, and, and they were, you know, with their dad. And so I chose to create the bridge for them to have a relationship with their dad if they wanted to. And it was a very slow process. And we went to visit him in prison, pre-COVID in prison. Many times we went to visit him at the Dane County jail before he was transferred. It took about a year and a half for his trial to go through. And, um, and I still tell them, you can ask me anything at all. And I will answer at an age appropriate level, truthfully. I think that that is so necessary and uncommon because the first psychologist that you spoke with, that's the parent gut instinct, right? Lie to protect the child, but they had just been betrayed. They had just experienced a lie that they didn't know how to comprehend or what to do with it. And your willingness, like you said, at an age appropriate level to be honest and transparent that is so incredibly insightful. And whether you knew it or not, what you were setting them up for is later in life, when grief comes, when hard, awful things occur, that they have the opportunity to choose that path as well, to create safety for the people in their lives. And, oh, that's just so, such a powerful thing to talk about. So thank you. I realize bringing kids into the story is always very difficult and, and, tender as well. And so I appreciate you being willing to um, include them because we don't know how to help our children grieve because we don't know how to do it. And so that, no, and you just want to protect <laughs> yes, them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. But, but I'm, I was curious too, because the model you've developed applied immediately to your life. Obviously the way you approach your children is much more emotionally nuanced and tender hearted. So, um, you wouldn't necessarily turn around and be like, all right, kids, coaching mom is here. And we're going to step into that professional set because it's easy to access that side of you. So uh, I guess I just wanted to say, Hey, well done staying in mom mode at that point. <laughs> I, I, Mandy, that just means so much to me because going through it, I didn't feel like, I felt like I was the buoy, like sinking and, you know, drowning and not knowing, am I, am I making the right choices? Because there were a lot of people who were advising me to move, get out of Dodge, burn all his shit, start over, ignore it. And I, and I have no judgment for how other people handle their grief. I have no judgment. It's a hard place to be. I just felt like I had to have the courage to address it head on and to stay in it in order to not be constantly running and hiding. Because when I was hiding those first two years, I hated it. Well, you didn't have psychological safety in those first two years. You were constantly in reaction mode. Like you had yep. said, wondering, do they know, are they asking? And to be frank, even in those moments when someone says, Hey, how are you? If you're not okay. And you know, they're asking specifically about your loss. You still have to reckon with the fact that it's going to cost you something significant to be honest, whether it's in that moment and it's vulnerability or that's not the cost, but later the emotional cost of pouring yourself out in that probably circumstance where you were not emotionally prepared to say, Oh, I'm here to be very vulnerable and honest. That takes a lot of intensity on top of it. So even if they do all know. And it's funny because I remember one phone call, there was a friend who called, he, he left multiple messages wanting to help. And I, I just wanted to hide, but finally I just felt bad because I'm like, I got to call him back. And I was sobbing. I was sobbing forever for the first six months. And, and um, <laughs> I will never forget. He's like, he couldn't, he could not handle the grief. He could not handle my tears. He's like, okay, Darcy, you know, and he just wanted to button it up and everything's okay and make it nice. And 
I, within probably four minutes was like this conversation, he means well, but it is not, it is not safe that he's just wanting to make it all nice. And so I'm like, Oh my God, you know what? The doorbell's ringing. My neighbor's here. I got to go. I literally, I lied because I was just like, I got to get off this phone call. I can't live in this place of let's just minimize and pretend and everything's okay. I wasn't there yet. Well, and I think that you're absolutely right that when you're grieving, you don't want to offend somebody who means well, but doesn't know any better. And that, that discomfort that people have with our loss when we're in the thick of it, you just want to say like, you don't, you have no obligation to support me through this. I release you. I have released so many people from my own life simply for things like that, where I'm like, you can't do this. And that's not on you. We don't have to be best friends right now. I don't need you to carry this for me. So I, you're totally allowed to lie to people to protect their little feelings in those moments, because if we don't, then it comes off with the, you know, the, aggressive side of us comes out where we say, Oh, now I'm going to give you a reason to grieve my friend. Right. And what I learned since then, what I would have done differently is just said, Hey, you know, text, I am so grateful for all your calls and checking in. I'm not in a place where I'm strong enough to connect. Please know that I'm receiving your love and support. And I will, I will be back in touch when I'm ready. I don't know why I guilted myself to like, Oh, he's called four times. I got to return his call. Oh, I'm sure we could dig into the psychology of that for days because all of us do that. Right. And I love that you wrapped up with, well, this would have been a better way to do it because the truth is that you're absolutely right to let someone off the hook and give them not a, it's not you, it's me kind of a conversation, but truly just to say, Hey, I see you. I appreciate you. I have the support that I need. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I am really excited to get a copy of your book and read it because it sounds so powerful. Where in the world can we get it? I'm assuming online. Yeah. Anywhere online, Amazon, Audible, local bookstores, Barnes and Noble. Um, it's thoughtfully fit. Okay. And if anybody is curious about, so I, we didn't get into the hurdles today. Um, if anybody wants to, and is curious about like, what are those six hurdles? I've mentioned them faster, you know, quickly thoughtfullyfit.com has a free quiz and it's two or three minutes and you can take the quiz and it'll tell you what's your biggest hurdle. And then some strategies on how to overcome and how to clear that hurdle. They're the same strategies I used with my crisis that I use our coaches and my my team, we use with our clients. And they're the same strategies that are outlined in the, in the book. So you can get a taste of it. And then you'll, if you, if you take the quiz, you'll get signed up for our thoughtfully fit tips, which come out. And uh, I think it's maybe every other week and have vignettes and case studies and stories and tips on how to handle yourself thoughtfully when you have a crisis, when you are in over your head, when there are things getting in the way of you really being high performing. I love that. I love how many different methodologies there exist in the world for all of these types of circumstances, because just like grief, every single person's crisis is individualized, right? No crises are the same. And so having access to modalities and research-based concepts that really can show up for people. It's so powerful. So thank you. And you just, oh, you're welcome. And you just named like, there's nothing in Thoughtfully Fit and what the model we use that isn't out there in many, many other different forms, seven habits of highly effective people and five dysfunctions of a team. It's all, all the concepts are the same. It's just how, how we packaged it because of how we see what resonates with people. uh, Right. And, and that whole model that like, Oh, I can actually handle myself thoughtfully if I train and practice and I know where I'm getting caught up, uh, you know, where, where, where I struggle. But I will say not to 
I don't want to align your work with all the other stuff that's out there simply because the presentation is only as valid as the presenter. And when you take your story and push it to the forefront, not to say, look at me, but to say, I'm not full of it. I'm not doing this to sell a book. I'm not here to teach you a concept, move on and make a buck. I am here because I give a crap about how you are doing and where you are. And this is proof positive that what I am talking about makes a difference. So don't minimize your own work, my friends. Your work is powerful <laughs> and important. <laughs> so I will make Thank sure. You. Oh gosh, absolutely. And I will make sure that your website and the name of your book and all your stuff is in our show notes too. But if anybody wants to connect with you, is it just through the website or are you active on social media? What's, what's your story? Yep. But you all of it, right? Okay. DarcyLoma.com is our website, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah. It's, all the fun we're all stuff. over there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, Darcy, this has been such a beautiful conversation. I'm so grateful I met you. And thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for making the space to have these tough conversations, Mandy. Mm-hmm. The work you're doing is so powerful. And I would love to get your address and mail you a signed copy of my book. Oh, well, okay. I guess I'll, I'll accept. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 29 of Restorative Grief. Huh. I told you. That episode lit me up inside. We hit on so many big principles in grief support, from centering to minimizing to platitudes and more. But Darcy's vulnerable approach, even with her children and the honesty she provided them, ultimately created the atmosphere they needed to find their own path to hearing. It's just so incredibly important. As Darcy mentioned, you can learn more about her work as an executive coach at Darcy Loma, that's D-A-R-C-Y-L-U-O-M-A.com or thoughtfullyfit.com. And you can buy her book on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And of course, the links are all in my show notes. Before we go, I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so yet. Keep leaving your beautiful reviews and even send interview or topic requests for me on social media because I'm listening and I love those. And maybe consider sharing this episode with someone you know who is just ready and willing to burst forth into their next great season because I think Darcy's work could be an incredible resource to them. And one last thing. Remember, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.